Revelation chapter 5 this morning. If you also go ahead and find Daniel chapter 12 and just put a bookmark there and we can save time getting there. Lots of uh, Daniel 7 and 12 are very prominent in the book of Revelation. And today we've looked at 7 and today we'll look at, at 12. And let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that it comes to us without error, that it's true in all of its parts. We pray now you'll be at the preaching and the hearing of your word, that we would give attentive ear to it, and that you would change our hearts even by what we hear this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Revelation 5, beginning in verse Actually, I want to read chapter 4 again, too, because you need to hear it. Chapter 4, to remind us where we are, Revelation, letters to seven churches are told uh, different things. Some are doing great, some are doing very badly. One's dead, it's like, it's almost dead, and then others are really doing well. And, uh, but it says, to the one who conquers, I will give. The one who's victorious, the Nikaio word, where Nike gets its word from. The, the conquerors in these churches will be granted to sit on thrones, to have the, the, the crown of righteousness, to be granted life in heaven. You will be in heaven with God. And then, after he tells us these things you need to do, you make sure you have your, your theology needs to be right. Don't put up with error. Make sure that you're not dealing in heresy. Make sure you're teaching truth. And make sure you have love for Christ. Make sure you have love for God. So that as we're not just, you don't want to just become so theologically truth-oriented that that's all you're ever about. And you forget to fall in love with it. And don't be so in love with God that you forget about truth. So you want to have truth about God to drive your love for God, which then drives your evangelism and your praise to God before a watching world. And so this is what the church has been called to do. And then we get this throne room scene where we see in chapter 4 uh, a glimpse into uh, God the Father, what the throne room looks like. He was in control of all heaven where there's the, the throne in the center and every circular praise goes out of all creation. So we read in chapter 4 the word of the Lord. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what, what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, 
who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And then we come to chapter 5 as we see the worship of the Lamb, um, God of our redemption. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped the word of the lord and so hopefully as you you read this hear this read you recognize that you're standing on on the holy ground you're being lifted into the heavenlies that as the Christ said he is in the midst of the churches by his Holy Spirit, and they all have lights, which are the Holy Spirit. We are the light of God in this world as the Holy Spirit illumines us, as we proclaim his word, as we live lives that are following him. He tells us that we need to take care and to be victorious, to conquer that our faith would remain strong through whatever trials we may go through, that we need to examine ourselves. If there's problems within our church, we need to take care of them. If there's a lack of love, we need to blow it into a flame. We need to make sure we are following Christ with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And so it can make you say, you know, how do, how do we do this? What happens? 
and we know the answer to this, but then the next thing we're shown is this is what's going on in heaven. And we also see the conqueror as we're told to conquer. And that's what we will see because without Christ, there are none who are worthy. And so we look again in chapter 5, begin verse 1. He says, so, you know, chapter 4, we've seen worshiping God on the throne. God the Father, the Almighty. Daniel chapter 7 calls him the ancients of days. And so we see this worship of him. And he says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. Now Isaiah, or maybe Ezekiel, talks about having a scroll written on front and in back. The word's actually book, and so the, there's a debate. Is this a book like this, or is it a scroll? And it's like, well, you know, books like this, codices, that we call them, they didn't show up until later, and they may have been around at the time of the writing of Revelation, but it's most likely it makes more sense as a scroll. Um, and then as you see um, Ezekiel, there's a, a scroll that was written on front and back, and what it seems to be saying is completely full. Uh, there's nothing that's not written in this scroll about redemption and the work of redemptive history in the world, the work of God in the world, particularly from the time of Christ's restoring of all things in his death and resurrection. There's an interesting thing, if you look it up, but during the time of the Civil War, uh, there was not a lot of paper, and you find letters that were written, and you can read it, they've written this way, and then they'll turn it this way, and they write again, they turn it this way, and they write again. So they have uh, three pages written on one side, and they'll turn it over and do the same thing, and it just looks like a mess, but if you get used to it, you can kind of see it and see how uh, full it, it's written. And so that's sort of the idea of this, this complete revelation, seven seals, seven being a number of, of completion that it, number 10 is a number of completion, but it's sort of a finite thing. It's the 10 commandments, uh, the 10 plagues of Egypt, but the seven days of creation has this ongoing thing that happens to us. It's more of a, a completion thing that continues to be, um, not continues to be completed, but is complete in an eternal type of of sense in this number. So this number seven is a complete thing and it has this ongoing consequence um, about it. But if you'll just now look at Daniel chapter 12, just so you know that these things from Revelation don't just pop out of nowhere. Um, Daniel saw an image, vision of the same thing. Uh, Isaiah has, has seen a throne room image. Ezekiel has seen some of this. Uh, and now John sees this. And so when he goes to look for words to use, um, he has these words from Daniel, and he'll say, I want you to understand that what I saw is what Daniel saw. Daniel's foretelling some things, and this is what is being foretold. So um, look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. There's going to be some stuff. We had time to go through all these things that are in Daniel. Some other time we'll do this, but um, you can get the main points. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen uh, since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. 
But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So <clears throat> the time of the end sounds like what it's saying is until the, you know, the last day. And so you're not going to get this thing opened until like last second. And that's not what it's talking about. It's the last age. This is the time of Jesus Christ um, from his, actually his birth, but from the time of his death and resurrection, uh, the New Testament says we are living in the last days. We're living in the last time. There's nothing else happening after this on earth. We'll be glorified in heaven. Um, the new heavens and new earth will go on. But as far as God's dealing of redemption on earth, this is it. If you are a pagan, you must be saved by Jesus Christ. If you're a Gentile, you must be saved by Jesus Christ. If you are a Jewish person, you must be saved by Jesus Christ. There is this, <laughs> there's a theology, dispensational theology, which says there's a church age, and then the church is going to be taken out, and then God's going to deal with Israel. No. No. That it would be for a time, times, and a half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Well, he, we, he may not be alone in that at this particular point. But what you see is these things can be interpreted in a gazillion, well, let's say it like the Bible says, in a myriad of ways. But you must have, what does the writer mean by what he said? And he has to have a key to it. And so it's not hard as we go through this to figure out what he's talking about. And what Daniel's numbers, what Daniel's dates clearly take you to is, is the, uh, up to the anointing of Jesus Christ when John the Baptist baptizes him in a river. And he's like three and a half, and three and a half years later, he's cut off for his people. Sacrifice is cut off. He is cut off for his people. And then in the last three and a half years is now the church age where we're growing and the apostolic um, things are happening. And this is what we see. Verse 8, I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So this is an understandable thing. And where do we get wisdom? Fear of the Lord. And where do we find that? In his word. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, time will not permit us to go into these numbers and things, but we went through Matthew and we talked about a lot of these things. And um, there's other places you can go and see this but what we need to see is this stuff's been revealed now we're in the last days and that doesn't mean Jesus is coming back within our lifetime it means this is the last age this is it at some point it will be the last day and some people have asked when do you think the end of the world will be and a very good answer to that is I'm not sure but God knows when that will be, and it will come one day. But for you, the day you die, that is your last day, and you need to get right with the Lord of the universe uh, before that day occurs, because it's appointed to man once to die, and after that, judgment. 
So after you die, a lot of people say this today, you know, I was waiting after I die, I'll figure all that out. No, there's no figuring it out afterwards. It is now. The day is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, now you respond. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And you think, well, that's not fair. It's not fair. It's grace. It's mercy. There should be no opening for us. We, and it all comes back to the garden. Adam represented all of mankind, so we all fell and sinned in him, and that should have been it. The day you eat, you shall die. But they don't die. They cover themselves with fig leaves. And God said, nope, there's nothing you can do about your nakedness. So he clothes them with the skin of an animal, kills an animal, blood is shed, covers them with the animal, obviously representing the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ covering our sin. There's no salvation from the curse of the garden other than Jesus Christ. He will crush his head. He will bruise your heel and you will crush his head. There's one who is coming. Where is he? Everything is looking forward to the one who's going to crush Satan's head. They thought it might be Cain. Nope. That did not end well. They thought it might be Noah. And Noah did save them. And there was a child that said a long time ago in the church I was at, that he asked his father, he said, why did God send the flood? He said, to wipe out sin. And the little boy said, well, it didn't work, did it? <laughs> it's like... Good point. No, we're still sin because that wasn't the final one. Noah's an example of grace. The ark is an example of the church rising above the flood waters, rising above judgment. Call it God calling those to come in and to be saved by this one family through whom comes the one who will be named worthy. And that's what we're looking for. All of creation history is looking for a solution to our fallen nature. We are born into sin. Since Adam represented us in sin, all of the human race has fallen. That means there's no such thing as an innocent person. There is no such thing as a purely innocent child. Now, the Bible does talk about people being innocent and righteous, but it's within the knowledge of the fact that if there does not come one who is worthy, that is able to save people from their sins, then not one person ever goes to heaven. I don't care how little the baby is. I don't care how old the person is. They will not go to heaven if Jesus, if I gave it away. If one doesn't come who is worthy to reverse this curse. So we're all hopelessly lost. And as you see the Bible progressively revealing these things about how God will save his people. How God will save the human race. And then we see again, as we've read already, not everybody. There will be some who are raised to everlasting contempt. But today is a day of salvation. That's on your own head. You must respond. The heavens declare the glory of God. There is written within the heart, within the mind of every human being, a knowledge of God, which they suppress in their sin. And again, Lazarus, dead. Jesus speaks. Lazarus, come forth. Dead man can't hear anything. The call had the power. And so does the call of the Holy Spirit, the internal calling of the Holy Spirit to people even today. So now we see one approaching the throne. And there's this sealed scroll. 
In verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John's writing, and he says, And I began to weep loudly, because there was no one who was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. That word found, worthy, is like it's law court. It's like uh, somebody's found innocent in a court of law. Somebody's found guilty. There was nobody who was found worthy. Nobody. And so why is John weeping loudly? I mean, it, you would obviously, at first, but there's nobody that opened the scroll. And he recognizes the problem with this. Nobody opened the scroll. We're all condemned. But I think there's more to it. This is John. He knows the story. And so his question may have been, not even Jesus? And he begins to weep loudly because there's no one, no one. The great angel's announcing it. And I mean, you're John, so look at, go to John's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 1. Remember what John has proclaimed. Through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This is speaking of John the Baptist. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of the will of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son and from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then verse 29. He also knows this. The next day. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John the Apostle writing this. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the angel has said, There's no one worthy. And John weeps loudly. How long does that go on? What's the pause? Until verse 5. And it's one of the elders who represent the saints. He comes to John and he says, weep no more. Behold, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. And that's like, whew. thank God. <laughs> For a minute there, I thought I was a person to be most pitied. And in between the throne and the four living creatures, in other words, in the midst of, in the, in the Greek mesos, it just, he's, he's right there in the middle of everything. The throne's in the center, the lamb is right there, and the four living creatures, and he's in the midst of the elders, he's right in the middle of all them, and I saw a lamb. So he says, behold the lion, and he looks, and what does he see? He sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain, and it's literally lamb standing as slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So at the center of all this, the one who is now approaching the Ancient of Days, the one who is approaching the throne, this is the great throne room scene. This is the, this is the pinnacle of, of everything that Jesus has done and accomplished, and he's there at the throne. He's about to take the scroll, and he's appearing there as a lamb who is slain, because this lion conquered as a lamb. So how did the lion conquer? And that's where you see this again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul is writing, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we know despising the shame but for the joy that was awaiting him, he endured. So since he experienced this humiliation, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, which is what we see in Revelation 5 that John gets a picture of. He gets to see the risen Christ who has defeated and conquered death, the result from the garden, waiting for the one who would be worthy to come and somehow save people from their sins. And so we see what he's done. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, which is just a few pages to the left, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. Peter is talking about this, and he says, in 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So this is the, the work of the church. He's in the midst of the church. He empowers the church. We're supposed to, we've been he suffered for us, and now we can follow him. He committed no sin. 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, so these are the ways that he's found worthy. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that is the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the one, and that's from... Um, I had it written down, but the lion of the tribe of Judah uh, is from the Old Genesis, and the, the, the tribe of Judah is being prophesied about, and there is the lion who will come. This is prophesying King David, but what we see here is that um, one of the elders says, Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, the root of David is interesting because it's not a branch of David. A branch of David would be a descendant of David. A root is where David came from. So before David was, Jesus says, I am. David was dependent on Christ, not the other way around. Okay? Physically, Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. But before David, Jesus was. He is the root of David. He is the true king. He is the one who is worthy. He is the one that all of this is about. He is the one who is now at the center of all worship of all creation and he has conquered so that he can open the scroll therefore we can conquer therefore when you are told to conquer the one who conquers in the churches are the ones who have faith and confidence in the lamb's victory it's not that we have to conquer and overcome sin we have to be perfect we have to be holy we have to do no your faith and confidence in the one who has conquered, your worship of him is the victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Anytime we fail, anytime we fall, anytime we sin, it's because our faith took a little turn. We put it on the back seat and we went running ahead. We grabbed the devil and said, come dance with me a while. When Jesus says, if you just resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Because we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We've been given these great things from him who has conquered and is now able to open the scroll and its seven seals. In verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, seven horns and seven eyes. Psalm 34, 15. We're going to read that real quick. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. So what are these eyes of this lamb who is Jesus Christ? He sees us. It's completely, it's not just one eye or two eyes, it's seven eyes. He can see everything completely. And his eyes are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. We're going to hear a bit in the, we've read about the bowls of incense being the prayers of the saints. He hears us. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them for the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved the crushed in spirit many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all 
He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. He is our king. He is our savior. He is the lamb that was slain. All the lambs and animals and the blood, all of the Old Testament, all pointed the one in the garden who was killed and given the skin that's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The white robes of Christ as we see him standing in heaven as a lamb who was slain. And then he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Now, this is the pinnacle. He did it. And that's the point. He's exalted. He's um, ascended into heaven. He's the, approaching the ancient of days, one like a son of man from Daniel 7. And he goes, and on God's right hand is the scroll. And no one is worthy except the Lamb of God. And he approaches the throne and he takes it. And he now has all of history in his hand. So he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. Now you get a picture of the scene. <laughs> He's, okay, there he is. This is weeping. No, no, no. There's the one who's conquered, the lion. He looks and it's like, okay, I, I see the middle of the throne. There's, there's, there's the lamb that's slain. I know, I know we're talking about Jesus. John gets this. But then it's like, there it is. He's approaching, and right when he, it's like, all of creation, all of everything is just, all eyes are on this. Every eye, every thought, not a noise, not anything. This is the moment when it all happens. And at that moment, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb. And each of these elders are holding a harp. And that's where we get this stuff about us becoming angels and floating around in heaven with harps. Bling, bling, bling. It's like, all right. Well, elders have harps. And it's, it's probably from the, um, in the, 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 the Second Chronicles. Uh, David is appointing the 24 elders from the Levitical tribe uh, to be uh, musicians before the, the tabernacle, before the temple of God. And they have a lyre, L-Y-R-E, and they have 10 string harps. And so this is one of the instruments of those 24 elders. Now you got these 24 elders, and they have these harps. They're probably strung on their backs. They're about to sing this new song, and they go and break out. I'm holding it like this. It's got 10 strings. Maybe it's like this. And, but before they do that, they've got this golden bowl of incense, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They're right there. And it's beautiful smell. The Lord hears them all. It's being presented to God. This is... It's, these are the prayers of the saints. This is your prayers. Prayers of martyrs, prayers of all saints, our prayers that go before the Lord through the Holy Spirit. They're offered as incense before God. And then they have these, these harps, and they sing a new song. And new songs are always having to do with redemption and salvation. Something happens, and there's a new song that's sung. And now there's this thing that has happened, and now they sing this new song, and the new song is, Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to open its seals. For, and it says why you're worthy, because you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed, you bought 
people for God. From, now it's not just Jewish people, and it's not every single person in the world, but it's all the peoples of the world. You have redeemed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that's because of the Great Commission. Going to all the world. Making disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded. That's the great mission of the church. We are so bad at it that what God does often is send people from all over the world to us. Or he'll send people to different parts of the world. But right now, God's Spirit moves everywhere in all the world. And he's sealing people. He's calling people. And he's making them, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And this was a promise that was given to Israel. Now it's expanded to all the world, and in the new heavens and new earth, and in a certain way now, we reign upon the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels. All right, another level out here again. Thrones. We've got the, with the um, living creatures. You've got the, the uh, 24 elders. And now you've got these uh, angels who are all everywhere out here. And the elder and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads. Myriads is one of my favorite words. It's, uh, it means myriads. If you want to use the word gozillion, then you can, because that's a good word too. But that's what myriads means, okay? If you wanna, it's, a, it's an innumerable amount. It was first used by some Greek scientist guy, I can't remember his name, but he didn't have a number large enough. He was trying to come up with a way to count grains of sand, I think. So he came up with the term myriads, which can be translated tens of thousands, but they didn't have big old numbers like us. So it's a gazillion and gazillion. It's millions and millions. It's just like innumerable amount. That's just like the stars of the heavens and more. He sees myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. He can't number them. The number of angels. And they, they're singing with a loud voice. And I imagine it was loud. That's a lot of angels singing. And what were they singing? Worthy is the Lamb. That's worthiness. is all about his worthiness. And in him we are now worthy. But without Christ we are not. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And was he worthy to? We saw why. And now he's worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You might say, well, okay, wait a second. Son of God, he already had these things. He's the son of God, yes, but he's the son of God made man, now existing in the person of Jesus Christ forever, for all eternity, the God-man who will exist with us in heaven in a way that we can communicate with and talk to and see in a way that he was, is eternally united now to man. And the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is worthy. Our representative the God representative, the man representative, the second Adam, the one who represents all of us, is worthy. And he received power and wealth, and it's called the innumerable riches of the, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory. God said, my glory I will not give to another. And here's Jesus Christ. This is Right here, one of the places to go for the divinity of Jesus Christ. He is God, worthy of honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature. Now remember, there was no creature found worthy. And now every creature. 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them. So some of these are to their great joy and some are being forced to acknowledge and admit and confess to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And that should be our response to understanding that the lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb who was slain, though standing, who died for our sins, who defeated the curse that was in Eden, the paradise of God, and on the cross says to, which I believe is one last little gift to Christ before he dies. He's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then this guy who's been reviling him next to him says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> it's like you're even saving people now. You know, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is the Greek word in the Septuagint for the Garden of Eden, the paradise of Eden, the paradise of God. The flaming swords will not allow you back in to get to the tree of life. Christ is the tree of life. The door is open. When we come to his table, you're coming to Christ. Why are we able? What makes us worthy? The four living creatures said, Amen to all of this. Let it be so. This is it. This is perfect. Nothing could be more right. And the elders just fall down and worship. That's the right response. And then we're called to come to his table. Why? Why should I let you to my table, might say Christ? Why should I let you into this great throne room of heaven? Why should you, what makes you worthy of this? And the answer always has to be, blessed is the lamb who was slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah paid for my sins. I'm in him and he's in me. He told me I could come. As a, I think it's an Alistair Begg sermon clip that's been going around. That guy said I could come. <laughs> Jesus said I could come. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to that cross I cling. If you can come to the table in faith, you're fed by Christ. Because the doors of heaven are open. The door is open. You can see there's worship in heaven. When a sinner comes to Christ, there's, there's great rejoicing in heaven too. They've seen this, and now they're watching. It's like, look at the people. Look at the people. Look at the numbers of people promised Abraham who would be as the numbers of the stars in heaven. So let's pray. Father God, help us to be able to, with the four living creatures, say amen, and with the elders of the church, fall down and worship. And we come to your table that we would, um, in a sense, with trembling hands, but not with fear, we boldly approach your throne. But if it were not for you, the death we proclaim would just have to be our own. But you've died for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't see that in heaven. They're not telling people to be quiet. <laughs> so I think I'll say this. Um, William Cowper, a Puritan from the 1500s, he says this as we think about Christ on the throne. He says, the dearest idol... I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne, 
and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my face. So pure light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. And he talks about prayer and he says this. Restraining prayer, that means if we're not praying, then we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Because this is the power of God.